So day the Lord's made, we're going to do what? Rejoice and we got plenty to rejoice over uh, for this season. All right, we welcome all you guys that have joined us live. We uh, appreciate your attendance with us and our sessions and our uh, services. I uh, wanted to tell you a few things about that. Uh, <clears throat> we're on YouTube, of course, if you're watching us, you know that. But a lot of folks wa- uh, listen to our podcast, and we are on iHeartRadio, Podbean, Apple, Google, and Spotify. I don't know how we got there. You can talk to Keith about that. But we're <laughs> and our one of our major listeners that we wanted to give a shout out to is Germany. So we thank you all, uh, Germany. We're glad you all uh, pay attention. We love the Word of God here, and we want to promote it every way we can. So this is our season. It belongs to the Christians. A lot of people celebrate during Christmas time for different reasons, but you all know that. Uh, Christmas, we've designated that time to honor God for sending His Son to earth. He didn't have to do that. He had planned, He made that plan even before the world was formed. The Bible says that He had already entered into what most theologians call the uh, everlasting covenant with His Son, that His only begotten Son. That needs to be stressed because there's battles over that even now in circles. But His only begotten Son, that He would send Him to be to take our place. He knew we were going to blow it, right? Have you looked in the mirror? Yeah. That's why I say regularly that we don't have any stones to throw at Adam and Eve, right? Because we've seen enough out of our own lives to know we would have blown it in the garden too. But God had a plan. And that plan included, your Bible is built around two major themes. Jesus is coming and Jesus is coming. He's coming the first time to be a part, to walk in our shoes, basically. And He's coming a second time to set the world straight and to take His people with Him. So, we got good news for you. That as bad as the world is getting, there's a way out. And that way started. Amen. Give the Lord. That way started with God sending His Son. And so uh, next week you'll get some more of this. The Holy Spirit's been flooding me with stuff about Jesus coming to earth and what that means to us. You're going to get some of that this morning. You'll get some more of that next week. But one of the words that we use is uh, we borrow a word from Latin, sermo. And we got a cog- our word sermon is a cognate of that. And so we'll talk about some of that next week. But the sermon is Jesus. That's the sermon. That's what, that's what all of us are supposed to focus on. I know we got ministries focusing on self-help and your best life now and all that stuff. That's not the message. The message is that God sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let me read to you from Titus and then we'll uh, have a little word of prayer before we go, I'm going to change, change up just a little bit. I want to be following the lead of the Holy Spirit here. Says, For we ourselves were also once foolish. <clears throat> Three of us were. The rest of you are lying to yourself. <laughs> For we ourselves were also once foolish, Amen. disobedient, Amen. deceived, Amen. serving various lusts and pleasures, Amen. living in malice and envy, Hateful, and your spouse said that's true, and hating one another. Sounds bad, don't it? It's a bad indictment we have. Listen up. But when the kindness of the love of God, our Savior, toward men appeared, He appeared. The unseen became seen. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. I want you to affirm that God sent His Son. 
to deliver all of us from our sin. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. You know the Bible teaches that Christians are supposed to care more about the things of others than they do their own stuff. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. We're supposed to exhort one another daily when we have the opportunity. Father, we thank you for the greatest gift that will ever be given. Not the greatest that's been given, but the greatest that will ever be given. We thank you, Jesus, for obeying the Father and walking in our shoes and carrying all of our sin to that cross. We were those people that you talk about in Titus there. But thanks be to God, you made a way of escape. And that way is through your Son. And we honor you today as we look forward to your second coming. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Come on, let's give Him praise in this house. Hallelujah. We praise You, Lord. You're worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You are worthy. He is our King. Amen. He's our Savior and our Deliverer and our Healer. You are everything we need, Lord. And we worship you this morning. There's none beside thee, O God. None other than you. You are the Holy One of Israel. You are the Great I Am and the Spotless Lamb. You are forever the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me say a word to all of you all. I just want to say that I appreciate you guys here and at the Satellite Church. We have so many people in our midst that care about others. So many of you are slipping me things to give other people that you know are in need. Happens just like that at the, uh, at the Satellite. We've got such giving people toward Israel, toward all the missions. And that's made our mothership, Basilea, relevant around the world. We are relevant around the whole world. And uh, God has put us in a position to impact our neighbors. And our neighbors are not just the people we see, but they're the people we have the ability to reach. And that's why we have two churches and two schools and a goat farm in Africa. And uh, we're just thankful. I'm thankful to be your pastor uh, for people that have a heart to give and to care about the things of others more than themselves. So we thank you for hearing the Holy Spirit and answering that call. We want to say to you that we appreciate that and we appreciate your love and concern for others. And that goes a long way. And the satellite is the same way, those people down there. And it's in a pretty poverty communities, a lot of uh, communities in poverty around there. So our food pantry is actually more aggressive there than it is here. And, uh, and we're giving out Christmas boxes down there, a lot of stuff that people have uh, made a way to happen. So a lot of good stuff going on because of Jesus and because he's found people like you all that are willing to sacrifice. And we appreciate that. So I give you all a hand for that. <laughs> And we will have a church next, uh, next Sunday uh, on Christmas Eve. We'll have, will be family worship here in our learning center. That's another thing that the Lord's put us in a position is not only to teach them educational things, but teach them about Jesus and how to pray and things here. So there'll be a part of our service next Sunday that we'll, you'll see something from what's going on over there. I think it'll bless you. So it blesses my heart to walk in over there and hear them singing. Hear them in that hallway. Hear those little children singing about the Lord. Sometimes they're singing about the states. They actually know what states are in this country. Geography is a lost art in this country. But uh, it's beautiful to hear all those little voices praising God and singing. So we're thankful for everything God's doing. And we should all be thankful. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord. Amen. Give Him praise.
Uh, Children's Church is dismissed. Uh, you'll be with us next week, but Children's Church is dismissed today. And then we'll uh, we also have two nurseries next door. And uh, we're going to get in the Word today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, we'll look at about uh, two verses here. Then I'm going to take you, uh, take you on a little trip today. Something I want to remind you about what Christmas is to us. It's something that the Holy Spirit has poured into me. Is, uh, I'm going to be some preaching today, but, uh, but let's, just, let's start here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Uh, it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, the only begotten Son. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. I want to say something. There's a difference between happiness and peace. Uh, peace is something that rises above all of our circumstances. And that's what Paul says in the New Testament, that he gives us peace that rises above all of our circumstances. And so there's a difference between that. Happiness can come and go, right? But peace is an everlasting thing. Shalom. And the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from the time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The time we celebrate God sending His only begotten Son, we make a special emphasis that this time of the year to redeem us. <clears throat> That's what we're celebrating, that God was willing to send His Son. And there's two parts to that. <clears throat> Jesus was also willing to come. And you're going to see how that was important uh, when the unseen became the seen. Now, if any of you have had children, and you've had children in tough situations where they were suffering, uh, there's no question that a parent or a grandparent or a caregiver or whatever, that we would be willing to take their place. That happened with my oldest son the first few years of his life when he had a lung disorder until the Lord actually healed him of that and took that away one time. Most of you have heard that story, but there's not a time that I wouldn't have when we had to take him to the ER many times uh, and watch them hook him up to those IVs and stuff that I would have taken his place. It's been, been much easier for me to have went through that than to watch him go through it. So think about what a sacrifice it was for God to send his son. It was a, I submit to you this morning, it was a greater sacrifice for God to send the father to send his son than for the father to come himself. Because all of us would take the place of our children. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. This is what was given to us on that day. In Hebrews chapter 7, look at verse 11. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, it says, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, that was the earthly priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek? And not be only not be called according to the order of Aaron. So there was a shift. When Jesus came, the priesthood, the, the, the priestly line was given to him. And because it's an eternal priesthood, and it's one without mother and father, without earthly descent. It came, he came from heaven. So that earthly priesthood was giving over or giving way to the eternal priesthood, which is Jesus Christ. For the priesthood being changed, there was a change of the guard of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he whom these things are spoken, for he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. So all of a sudden, Jesus was his earthly part, his natural man was given through Israel. He's a Jew, but it was not given through the Levites, as was Moses and Aaron, but it was given through Judah, this other tribe. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which the tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning 
the priesthood. Now, if you hold your Bibles, hold your place there, let's run over to Luke. I want to show you something in Luke chapter 1, I believe it is. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, I want to take you to, uh, actually, I think it's going to be chapter 4, the lineage. Let me back up to chapter 3. I'll find it here in a minute. So it says in, in Luke chapter 3, this was not, they don't have that back there, so they're scrambling to get it up right quick. The Holy Spirit quickened this to me just now. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years age, being, listen to how the Bible says this, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. Now Joseph, we know, was not his father. The Holy Spirit impregnated as we sang about that. Here's just this last song about this virgin. She was with child before she'd ever known a man. And we'll talk some more about that next week. But she, uh, she, he, she was, Joseph was supposed, people thought Joseph was his father, especially if they had no spiritual understanding. Uh, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matthai. Now, if what happens is, if you go over to Matthew and you see this lineage of Joseph, it runs through a different father of past Joseph because this is Mary's lineage. Over there was Joseph's lineage, who was the stepfather. And Matthew chapter 1 is where the lineage of Joseph is talked about. Here, this is the lineage of Mary, both being the tribe of Judah. And if you'll run these lineages, that one takes you back through David and Matthew. If we ran all, I'm not going to take the time to run all this, but it does the same thing. Boaz is, is here. It runs us all the way back, back into the same tribe because Mary was of the tribe of Judah. She, now Joseph over here was of the line that was cut off, but the, the line of David kept coming through Nathan. See, Solomon's line, Rehoboam, they'd been cut off. But this, if we run this back through Nathan. So it just goes to show you how faithful God is. Amen. That he keeps his promises, even though part of that line was cut off because of their sin. God kept through Nathan, he kept bringing that lineage all the way down to the tabernacle, the earthly part of Jesus, that natural man who had to be born of the tribe of Judah and had to come through the lineage of David, God is faithful. Can somebody give him praise for that? So that's why it says it that way. This is talking about Mary's line here. And over in the first, uh, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, he's talking about. So he is of a different tribe. God was faithful to perform all of his promises. What did he say? He said that David would never fail to have a man on the throne. Well, what happened? Solomon's line got cut off. So what did God do? He kept David's line coming through his other son because God is not a man that he should lie. Can you say amen? And so God is being faithful to His promises that He would be raised up from the scepter of Judah, that, that, that David would continue. And actually, this is powerful because it said, David will never fail to have a man Whoo, on the throne. I'm feeling that. And guess what? He does not because Jesus is forevermore the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God will have a man of David on the throne. Now, let's go back to Hebrews. We want to point that out to you uh, by the unction of the Holy Spirit there. And then he says, for the priesthood is changed, right? And the change of the law, that he belongs to another tribe. There's things that belong to another tribe from which no man is officiated. Speaking of Judah, it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident that the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law, the fleshly commandment. Are you following me? I feel the Holy Spirit this morning. I'm thankful, Lord. I, listen, uh, we got a world that wants to make a God like them. All these false religions, and a lot of America's that way. They want a God that's okay with everything that's wrong. And I'm glad that I'm not having to teach you all that you have your best life here. My best life's yet to come. 
Amen. Because I have a king with no earthly descent. I have a savior with a father in heaven. He's not made with an earthly father. His father is God. He's my priest. He's my savior. He's my deliverer. He's my buckler. He's my shield. He's my best friend. He's my everything. Jesus Christ. And then he says, I love this, he says, for uh, that he didn't, he has the, he's evident he didn't come from the priestly tribe and is far more evident as the likeness of Melchizedek. There arises this priest, but a, listen, he is not priest made after an earthly command, but according to the power of an endless life. Whoo! Paul said, if he's not risen, our hope is in vain. But Jesus is alive, testified. Listen, now these disciples, they all lost their lives except for John. And they tried to kill John, but God wasn't through with him. That's a word to all of us. You're not leaving here if you're following the Lord until God's through with you. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the last blood report is. If God's not through with you, you're not leaving here. But let me tell you why not only did the Bible testify that Jesus come out of the grave, and that's how critics will come back at you. They will come back to you and say, well, that's what your Bible says. Well, the first thing, it's not my Bible, it's God's Word, but I'll claim it, it's mine too. But not only does the Bible tell us that Jesus came out of the grave, but also the Romans and the Jews testified that He came out of the grave, and the Jews tried to buy people off, which is actually mentioned in the Bible. So they didn't want people to know that he risen from the dead. So let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. But beyond that, let me tell you something else. There are 11 guys that lost their lives, or excuse me, 10 of those 11, who lost their lives preaching the gospel. Let me tell you what they did. They circulated out in the world. They had no idea of what the other one was going through until maybe they met up months or years down the road or maybe they never found out. But we watch all of these guys go to their death testifying that Jesus come out of the grave. Now I'm going to tell you something. If that had been a hoax, if that had been a hoax, you could not have got ten guys to stick with that. Somebody, Thomas, before they filleted him. Somebody, Peter, before they crucified him upside down. Somebody would have given up and said, listen, this ain't worth dying for. We're out here with no account. They didn't have any accountability with each other. They didn't have the ability to make sure the other one was sticking with the story. They all went to their grave except John, and they banned him to the Isle of Patmos trying to keep him from having influence. And then he wrote the most influential book in the New Testament. I tell you, your God is still on his throne. Somebody would have given up somewhere sometime. But all these guys went to their death testifying that Jesus came out of that grave. They had the ability to not be accountable. They had the ability to give up and say, this ain't worth dying for. But they all died, or at least most of them, with the exception of one, and they tried to kill him. So here we stand on a platform. I'm not ashamed to be called the Son of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. My wife and I were watching. I didn't realize this until just recently. We were watching just the other day that 30 for 30 on Reggie White. Reggie White... Uh, some say, including John Madden, that he's probably the best defensive player that ever played the game. And I, Brian, uh, Brian Frazier was telling me here that, uh, Brian Bradshaw was telling me that his, his friend was the Dunn guy from over here at, at Bergen and that he played NFL and he said he was the only guy that he couldn't block. He said that's the only guy he ever ran across he couldn't block. But do you know how persecuted he was for doing the right things? As we watch that, he turned down millions of dollars because he wouldn't advertise for Miller High Life and all that because he wanted to... And, and he got persecuted to no end for being a Christian. And one of the coaches credits him for being the first guy to gather guys from other teams and meet in the field and pray. Now you see that a lot. But he's the one that started that. He was like John the Baptist. He came 
came and was gone very soon. He died. Her, but what an impact he had. One guy with tears in his eyes said, he got to me. Said he, all he was trying to do was to save us from judgment and eternal damnation. That's all Reggie White was trying to do. And he got Percy. Where are those people that are that committed? Where are those disciples and apostles that are willing to die for the cause of the gospel? That's what makes the difference in our lives. That's what makes Christianity, gives us this greatest power that we're not ashamed of the gospel like this guy. I said, where is the guy like Reggie White that'll turn the mighty dollar down to make sure God's witness is not marred in his life? Where, is, where are those people? Where are those people that are willing to stand up for the truth and the gospel? I'll tell you, there were 10 of them. There were 10, 11 of them. I'm sorry, there were 11 of them that said, we are willing to die for the cause of the gospel because we know that Jesus Christ came out of that grave. Hallelujah. That's our hope. Now, he goes on to say, he says, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For, one, for on the one hand, uh, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And insomuch as he was not made a priest without an oath, for there have been become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It's done. There he is. I've told you this before. There's only one person that held all three offices. You had a prophet and a priest. You had a king and a prophet in the Old Testament. But you never had a priest, king, and prophet in one person until Jesus came. He forever will be the high priest. He forever will be the king of kings. And he is the prophet of the most high God. He holds all three of those offices. And we look to him. That's why we look to him. I don't have to look to someone else. I can look just to him. The veil's been rent. I can look directly to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And he said, many priests, because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he continues forever in this unchangeable priesthood. Look at verse 25. This is the good news of Christmas. Therefore, He is able to save to the uttermost. I like that word. Those who come to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Now think about that. If you'd have been Jesus and you came down and died on the cross, would that have been enough? Yeah. You would think so. But now He's right there praying for you and I. Constantly, He's constantly interceding on our behalf before the Father. For such a high priest, listen to this good news. This is what came to us. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, has become higher than the heavens. He does not need daily as a high priest to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins, then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself for the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of an oath which came after the law points the Son, capitalized, who has been perfected forever. That's who we have. That's what God sent you for Christmas. That's what He sent the whole world. He sent us the greatest gift that's ever been given. If you understand the reality that you and I should have been the one nailed to that cross, not Him, then you'll understand this is the greatest gift that's ever been given. If we understand our condition and where we were, that's why I read to you from Titus chapter 3 before we started this service. That's us. That was us. That's what God has set us free. Now, uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 1. I'm not going to take you through the lineage. That's the lineage that takes us back through Joseph, uh, the, the stepfather. But I want to take you to verse uh, 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Let me read a few things. I'll point out some things, and then I'll take you one more place this morning. In Matthew chapter, 18, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and wanting to make her a public example, was mindful to put her away secretly. So he, he couldn't figure all this out, right? A little bit of flesh and blood on this. Joseph is probably thinking, there's no way that's happened. He's thinking, my fiancé stepped out on me, right? He, he just can't understand. But then what happens? 
He was going to put her away secretly. Now she, according to the law, should have been stoned. Think of the risk she was taking. You think God's asked you to do something hard? Think again. This young woman who's probably in her late teenage years is asked to carry the Son of God at the risk that nobody will understand and they'll take her out to the gate and stone her. You think about that. Now let me ask you a question. What's, what, do you, what are you putting God off on? What's been too hard for you to do? And Joseph even don't understand it, right? He's in a position where he's like, right? Can you imagine Joseph telling his inner circle, his friends, at the local subway? They met at Subway for lunch. Joseph can't eat. The rest of them can. And Joseph says, my, wife, my fiance is pregnant. And the guys say, oh, man, God will forgive you. Probably the first thing come out of their mouth, right? God will forgive you. Do the right thing. Get married, right? And they, just used, they understood all that. He said, no, you don't understand. It's not mine. What? Well, she said, the Lord done all this. And all the guys said, yeah, right. Let's put flesh and blood on it. See, I think sometimes we think these people are superhuman. They're just like us. Mary was just like any teenage girl. She might have been committed to the Lord, and we want our teenage girls to be committed to the Lord. That shouldn't be the exception. <laughs> that should be the rule, especially in the body of Christ. Our teenagers should be committed to God. So she's still flesh and blood, and he's probably wrestling with this, probably if he even told anybody. We don't know that. But just think about, he says he was going to put her away secretly. He, he didn't want her to die. He loved her. And he's probably going through all of this in his mind, thinking, is what she's saying really true? Can it be true? How can that be true? That's how we are. That's what's wrong with half the world. They just don't, they can't believe something supernatural is real. Amen. And then these idiots go to Hollywood and everything they put out is supernatural. Amen. But yet they don't want to believe it when it comes to the God. And then he says... He says that he, he's going to put her away. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So there's his confirmation. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now that word Jesus is, is the same word in the Old Testament as Joshua. Right? And so it's the same word. We just bring it over and call it Jesus. And it means God our helper. That's what it means. So here's what God did. At what we celebrate as Christmas. I'm not telling you Jesus was born this time of year because he wasn't. But we, we, it's okay for us to set aside a time to celebrate God sending his son. Why wouldn't we? It's the greatest thing that ever happened. I don't care if we had Christmas in March April, May, June, July, August, September. But we ought to have a day, and we do. And here it is, where we celebrate God sending His only begotten Son to take our place. Thank God for that. But God, our helper, God sent us some help. And we have to have it. There's no way out of this unless God sends us some help. Look at the next line, though. Here's what you need help for. You don't need help necessarily just for a better life. Or so you could come out of poverty into whatever. And God may have done that for you. He does that. He's a, he's a wonderful God. But here's why he sent his son. This is the main reason. Bring forth the son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Amen. Let me write this on this board. So you can, you know, I'm a big... English guy. Let me tell you what you'll go to hell for. Your sin. You won't go to hell for mine. You won't go to hell for Adolf Hitler's. You'll go to hell for your sin. Amen. You know what your problem is and my problem was? Before we come to Christ, our sin. Not, not, no, no, no. At, listen, I, I learned this a long time ago. As long as your life is somebody else's fault, you ain't never going to be free. Amen. 
You ain't never going to. As long as it's someone else's fault, you ain't never going to be free. Until you can look in the mirror and say, it's my sin. It's my sin. You, we, got, we tend to, and, and there's probably people that could shoulder some blame for things in all of our lives. But at some point, we got to come to grips with reality. We have sin. We were born into that sin. And we got some, we got some business to do with God through His Son, Jesus. So that's the problem. Do you know why Jesus, Jesus didn't come so we could have a holiday? For you know it, we ain't going to work at all in this country. We're going to have so many holidays. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> Here's the thing. He came because we had trouble and it was worse than being on welfare. It was a sin problem. You can get to heaven poor. You can get to heaven rich. It's harder, according to the Bible, to get there rich than it is poor. You can get to heaven in a wheelchair. You can get to heaven standing straight on your feet. But you can't get to heaven unless you let Jesus deal with your sin. And we ain't got no stones to throw. Paul said if you break the law in one point, basically if you sin over here, it's like sin in, a, in any place. All sin, sin. But you got to realize Jesus didn't come to do all these natural things. Those are benefits a lot of times that come into our life. But His main reason for coming to earth was because of our sin. For He will save His people from their sins. You can blame your mom and dad till you go straight to hell if you want to. You can blame whoever. Or you can look in the mirror and say what I've always said, I have no stones to throw at Adam and Eve. Right? Or anybody for that. Give your parents a break. This is the first time they've ever done this too. And learn from mistakes. I told you, I, I got on the parents the other day. I said, guess what? Parents, you ain't the end all be all. Your children are going to do some stuff different than you do. And it's going to be better. It's going to be better than what you do. Because what we want our children to do is to go deeper and further than us in the Lord and the ways of the Lord. We want them to learn. Solomon said, I went by a man's vineyard and I, it was all grown over and I learned from what I saw. Wouldn't that be good if most of us could learn that way? Most of us are like, ah, oh, we're going to jump the wall and see what else, what's over there. Right? But that's, that's a beautiful way to learn is to learn from what we see. So he says he was going to send Jesus. His name is going to be called Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So we'll talk about that next week. Now, I want to wind up here in the book of Ruth. If you'll go to the book of Ruth with me. Chapter 4. This is what happened for us when Jesus came. Um, he became our kinsman redeemer. When the Holy Spirit started ministering this to me in the last two weeks, yeah, I'm talking about Christmas, but really what I want to get across to you this morning is how much it means to us for Jesus to be our kinsman redeemer. And that's a good Christmas thing. But I want you to think about this. I'm going to share some things with you that you may not know. Maybe you know. Maybe you've forgotten them. Maybe you need to be reminded of them. But as I read, as the Holy Spirit took me to Ruth chapter 4 in the last few days, the first time I read it, I began to weep. And I'm going to show you why. Now Boaz went up to the gate, verse 1, and sat down there. And behold, a close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, now Ruth uh, is out there trying to find favor with Boaz. She's lost her husband. Orpah lost her husband. There's so many lessons in Ruth. It's beautiful. Naomi, if you go back to the story, Naomi and her husband took their sons and they left Israel. Now there was a famine in the land and God had given them a word and the father disobeyed it for them to stay in the land that he would take care of them. Well, they got nervous and afraid and left the land and tried to go somewhere else to sustain themselves because they couldn't see with their natural man 
And so they got caught up in the flesh. And when they, when the time this scenario unfolded, the father died. And the two sons had married Ruth and Orpah. And they had both passed away. And now Naomi says, I got to get back home. Get back to where God told us to be. And she tries to get the daughter-in-laws that had lost their husbands too to stay. And Orpah turns and goes back. And Ruth says, no. And this is the verse most of us quote. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. She makes a commitment. A lifelong commitment. So she comes in. She's trying to find favor with Boaz. He's kin to the, the, her husband through there. And all that's where the story's at. And Boaz has been treating her kindly and her mother-in-law. And, and so he, the, uh, there's another guy that's closer relative than Boaz. So this, this is the part of the story I want to take you to. He says, uh, come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. Verse 2 says, and he took... Ten men, the elders of the city, and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he had said to the close relative, who was closer than he was, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of the land which belonged to her brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if, not, if, you, if, if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. And the, of course, the guy jumps, to, jumps up and says, you know, basically, for there is, uh, uh, for there is no one by, but you to redeem, and I am, I am next after you. So Boaz is deferring because this is the law. And Boaz said, on, uh, and he said, I will redeem it. So he's probably just thinking about his reputation, the, the land and all that. Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth. And the Bible's careful to mention this. The Moabitess. And that's when I started to weep. Look what, look what happens. The wife of the dead. To perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself. Lest I ruin my own inheritance. Wow. He was all good until they mentioned the Moabitess. The Moabites and the Ammonites were the two children that came out a lot. And his daughters on that hillside when they got out a lot that day, or out of Sodom. You remember that story? Ammon and Moab was born from that incestuous relationship. They became some of the most wicked people in the earth's history. Done things we can't even talk about in this setting. She's a Moabite. When this guy finds out she's a Moabite, He don't want nothing to do with it. Boaz steps up to the plate and does it. Think about Jesus. He said, I didn't come for those who are well. I came from those who are sick. Amen. He came for that guy who's laying in the ditch with vomit all over him because he's drunk so much. He's covered with the stench of vomit. He came for that woman who had five husbands and was living with a guy at the time. He came for those who are sick and diseased. Came for those who are outcasts like Jephthah, born of a harlot. He came for all those who needed a physician. And guess what? We got the greatest physician that ever walked the earth. Not only could he fix our natural heart, but he could fix our Spiritual heart, which is our greatest need, by the way. So Boaz, I love what Moses said. We were in Exodus this Thursday. I love what Moses said. He said, uh, Lord, if you're going to kill them, kill me too. An intercessor is somebody who prays the will of God and not their own will. You may be praying. You can pray for things. That's fine. But an intercessor is somebody who sets their will aside and prays for God's will. And we see people like that in Scripture, and there are people like that in our midst who can set aside their will, their desires, their wants, and pray. And that's what Elijah did. But when you get to the New Testament, Jesus took it a step further than Moses, didn't he? He said, kill me instead of them. That is the greatest gift, right? Amen. Four things had to happen before you could be a kinsman redeemer. 
Number one, you had to have the means to pay. Number two, you had to do it voluntarily. You could not be coerced into it. Number three, you had to actually pay the price. Remember when David was getting ready to sacrifice to the Lord and some guy said, hey, I got, I got ox, I got stuff you can sacrifice. And David said, I'll take it, but I'll pay you for it. You can't give it to me because if you give it to me, it won't be my sacrifice. It'll be yours. So I'll pay you for those animals. Then they'll be my, it has to cost me something or it's not my sacrifice, right? I, there's things we can't do for you. Nobody can worship for you except you. I can't come to church and say, Lord, uh, my friend's too lazy to worship, but I'm going to worship some. Just put it on his account. <laughs> right? Or I'm going to give, but Lord, don't credit this to my spiritual life. Give, let my giving be credited. That's not how this works. And so you had to be able to pay. You had to pay. You had to actually make the payment. You had to do it voluntarily, and you had to be near of kin. And when I read that, I started weeping because I thought, he found out she was a Moabite and he didn't want nothing to do with her. You know what? We're all Moabites. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. There's none good, no, not one. Aren't you glad we had a Boaz instead of this other dude? You had to be kin. Jesus had to come to earth Christmas. He had to live in the flesh, tribe of Judah. He had to have the ability to pay his own blood. He had to actually do it. He hung on the tree and he did it voluntarily Amen. that's what Christmas is about our kinsman redeemer he came to walk a mile in our shoes the type of this is in the Old Testament where Abraham is taking Isaac up to offer him as a sacrifice he comes tells his wife the encounter he's had with God. He don't put God off two weeks and say, hey, Lord, uh, let me and Isaac go on a cruise. Let me mourn him for a while. And then when we get back, I promise we'll do it. The Bible said the next day. That's how committed he was to God. The next day. What if we had more Christians interceding instead of whining? What if we had more Christians just saying, I don't care what you said, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to sit here and try to figure it out. I'm just going to do it. Gets up the next day and heads up. Most theologians believe that Isaac was probably about the age of Jesus when he went into public ministry in his 30s. That meant Abraham was way up past 100, right? 130-something. Most theologians believe that Isaac was young and in his prime, he could have overthrew his father and said, I ain't going through with this. I don't think as much of a match between a hundred and something year old and a thirty something year old in his prime. He willfully. You know he started understanding what was going on. He said, hey dad, we got the wood and everything, well, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham by faith said, God himself will provide a lamb. Man, that, that statement not only hit that mountain that day, but that statement I think is an echo chamber that's still running around this world today. When he spoke that, he was prophesying that God would send his son. And so Isaac willfully submitted. So here we are. You know what Christmas is about? Christmas is about you and I being a Moabite and Jesus saying, not only will I take care of them, but I'll take care of the Moabites too. I'll step into their place. I got the means to do it. I'm willing to do it. I will do it. What a wonderful Savior we have. 
and I will walk in the flesh and become their kinfolk. So I'll leave you with this. <clears throat> Put 1 Corinthians 15, 45 up. I'll leave you with this. <clears throat> the first man, Adam, as the so is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. What a wonderful thing for us to have Christmas. The Christmas that God intended for us was for us to have His Son as our gift. The priest made after the order of Melchizedek to deliver us from our sin. He paid the price. You can come to the instruments. Let's stand our feet. He paid the price. Christmas time is about our Redeemer. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank You for what it means to be a follower. We thank You for what it means to be redeemed. We don't have <clears throat> the strength on our own to redeem ourselves. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. So as we humble ourselves before you this Christmas season, as we remember what you've done for us, as we realize you took on flesh to be like us, to feel what we feel, to face what we face, yet without sin, so you could be our kinsman redeemer. As I open this altar up, think about this. What if those scars that Jesus has, He has forever now? What if He has them all through eternity for you and I? What if some of the sacrifices that He made by coming to earth will stay with Him throughout eternity? you ever thought about that? What if he is confined in some ways to what he surrendered himself to just so he could be our kinsman redeemer and deliver us from our sin? The greatest sacrifice that's ever been given was given by God and His Son. And if you don't live that, you ain't living. You're just existing. But there's a place to have life and have it more abundantly. As we worship Him, this altar is open. If you need something from the Lord, will you come? If you want to just come and worship Him, be thankful for the fact that Jesus is your kinsman redeemer.